to Sorted SF episode eight, I think. Um, yeah, stoked we made it this far. Um, which in reality, I mean, isn't that long, but whatever. Um, so yeah, hi from inside my rental car. Today is Thursday, the ninth. I am in a parking lot at a beach on Maui with a lot of families staring at me as I hold this microphone to my mouth. Um, but it's fine. It's fine. Um, I've had a lot of fun being out here with my family, but I miss my kitties and Olive and have like a bit of FOMO, even though there's like actually nothing going on at home. But it's been a productive week. I've gotten a lot of work done. I've tanned. Um, I tried new fruit, like this thing called a soursop, which is like related to a jackfruit, but super sweet. It had like a gooey jackfruit texture that tastes like candy, like a Jolly Rancher, but gooey, kind of chewy. I don't know, weird texture. I saw my first sea turtle up close. That was amazing. They really remind me of those little mole crabs that burrow under the sand at Ocean Beach, and I assume at like other beaches. But something about the turtle's body and curvature was just like so reminiscent of the mole crab. And that kind of sent me down into a Fibonacci spiral, even though like I don't think turtles follow like the Fibonacci um, golden ratio. But I don't know. I just got caught on that. I never imagined myself watching like math videos on YouTube. But that's where that spiral got me. And I guess that's your late 20s. Um. I registered for a few more classes at City College this fall. Um, so here's my obligatory reminder to everyone who lives in SF. City College is literally free. So go take some classes. Like they're, they offer them all online for the most part. Kind of go at your own pace. Um, just get everything done by the end of the semester. It's pretty sick. I signed up for German 2 since somehow I ended up with a B plus in German 1, which is pretty cool. Can't speak it, but I know the grammar and vocab now. So maybe this semester I'll figure out how to say some more things or at least remember how to say some more things. I also got in an art history class. I know I'm like 100% going to regret it because it's going to be like just beyond time consuming, but whatever, I'll deal with that in the fall. The semester starts the 29th of August. Yeah. Um, I saw baby ducks for the first time and those were super cute. It took like so much self-control to not try and like chase them and pick them up. And mama duck was not stoked when I tried. Um, yeah, I don't know. What else have I been up to? Just reading and writing, trying to figure out my next moves. Yeah, it's been cool. Ooh, Chessa got recalled. That's fucking insane. Like I was hoping for a recall. But I didn't expect it to be by such an absolutely massive margin. Like, I'm genuinely excited to see what happens next. I don't know if it'll be good, but I do love change. So burn it down and start over. That's my motto. It's served me well. Uh, so anyway, it's the end of week two of Pride Month, and I just want to keep learning about SFG history. Oh, actually, today I watched a Postmates commercial, and for like a special pride menu for the month of June. And it's like a bottom friendly menu. So like what it's like a menu specifically for if you're a bottom and, you know, like are going to be doing bottom things and like the foods you should avoid. 
before you do that. It's incredible. It's I'm so glad that we're at a point in society and I guess in marketing where we're just like, you know, we've moved past the like love is love rhetoric to like, no, we know you're doing anal. So I don't know. I recommend finding that Postmates. It's like the menu is only available in LA and New York and not San Francisco for some reason, but highly recommend doing a search for that. It's so good. It's amazing. 10 out of 10. That Postmates marketing team, advertising team. Wow. They even partnered with like a doctor who like using science created this menu. Okay. Anyway, let's get started. Um, like I said, it's Pride Month. I wanted to continue the gay theme. So obviously San Francisco's like been gay since before I've been alive. Um, but I realized I had absolutely no idea of the origin or like the story of how it came to be. And I found myself Googling shit like it's an episode of It's Always Sunny. Always Sunny. All, like it's an episode of It's Always Sunny. So like I would type in like, how did the Castro get gay? Um, but it actually ended up bringing me some decent information. So let's get started. My sources for this episode include sftravel.com, projects.sfchronicle.com, sfgayhistory.com, kqed, foundsf.org, um, castrocbd.org, Wikipedia, of course. Um, did I say sfgayhistory.com? Yeah. And yeah, that rounds out my sources. So let's get into it. Cool. Some backstory for those who might be unfamiliar. What we know is the Castro used to be called Eureka Valley, named for one of the twin peaks. The other peak was called Noe. It's kind of cute. This part of the city began as like sparsely populated ran- ranchos, ranchar- ranchos that belonged to Mexican land barons such as Jose Castro and Jose de Jesus Noe. The Market Street Cable Railway expanded down that way in 1887 and Eureka Valley became a desirable and accessible neighborhood. The way it's described, Eureka Valley sounds really great, like a totally idyllic life. It was every working man's dream. Cheap piece of land, you build a huge Victorian house on it that was big enough for multiple generations of family. Uh, You work, shop, live all within your neighborhood, hang out with your neighbors. Everything was there. It was economic solidarity because everyone was working class. They worked in the trades, public service sectors, and on the waterfront. There were bakeries, butcher shops, poultry markets, fish markets, and a shit ton of bars. The bars, as they still are now, were important social meeting grounds for the residents of the neighborhood. The early 1900s brought a shit ton of Scandinavians to the neighborhood. Businesses and amenities catered to the Scandinavian community, including the Norse Cove Restaurant, Vanilla's Finnish Baths, the Scandinavian Siemens Union Hall, and bakeries specializing in coffee cakes, cardamom buns, rye bread, and other Scandinavian specialties. And so what started as scattered Victorians soon turned into whole city blocks full of homes. It wasn't long before the tight little community of Eureka Valley was promoting itself as the sunny heart of San Francisco. From the 1930s through the 60s, Eureka Valley was also known as a working-class Irish-American enclave. The Irish were a powerful presence in the city, involved at all levels of politics, from precinct workers up. 
and the neighborhood was home to many laborers, firemen, policemen, and other city workers. The district produced a number of the city's Irish-American police chiefs. Um, at this time, life revolved around Most Holy Redeemer Catholic Church, which is at 100 Diamond Street. And it was built two blocks off Castro in 1900, and it's still actually a popular church today. At the time, daily mass was popular. Sunday services were what Conge wished he could do, excuse me, what Yi wishes he could do. And St. Patrick's Day just like shut it down. It was celebrated with a big show in the parish hall featuring children in costumes, performing, performing step dancing, reels and jigs to Irish music played on the accordion. Um, many local residents, when asked for their neighborhood, would just reply, Holy Redeemer. Housewives walked to the stores along Castro and 18th Streets. The Castro Theater, which had been built on Castro in 1922, was an absolute centerpiece of the neighborhood. Across the street was Safeway. There was a Safeway there um, back, back in those days, which is crazy. Um, and everyone shopped there. Cliff's Variety Store carried everything that you couldn't find at Safeway. And for the working boys, there were still lots of bars. Most of the Catholic kids went to Holy Redeemer Grammar School, taught by nuns who lived in the convent next door. The public school kids walked to Douglas Elementary, but all kids, no matter what school they attended, loved Saturday movie matinees at the Castro Theater, visiting the small wild animals at the Josephine Randall Junior Museum. Randall Museum, what up? And dressing up in costumes for Cliffs, the guy who ran the variety store, um, for his annual Halloween party. Then the Depression happened. Then were pulled into World War II, and while the war was raging, the U.S. military decided that gay men were not worthy to fight the Nazis and fire them from service. Thousands and thousands of these firings happened to soldiers stationed in San Francisco and in the Pacific Theater. Um, so they just like lost their jobs and were thrown out onto the streets of the city. And so all of a sudden, all at once, there was a massive population of gay men in San Francisco who, again, had all just been fired. And most of them stuck around because being fired and starting over in San Francisco is better than going to their podunk town in like Nebraska or wherever the fuck they came from, where they could face further persecution for being gay. And I think, you know, the world works in such insane ways. And when you take a step back and like look at everything in retrospect and you look at the timeline of things and how everything always plays out, you look, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It sounds like bullshit, but you look at things and you're like, of course it happened that way. How perfect, how aligned, of course everything worked out that way. And I really think that this, the Castro becoming a gay enclave is really one of those like beautiful, like perfect stars aligning moments. So let me get into that now. So the gays are starting their new lives in San Francisco. The war comes to an end. FHA-backed mortgages take off, automobiles become popular, and tastes changed. So all of a sudden, little Eureka Valley wasn't the utopia it used to be. The Victorian homes, which were the latest things in the 1890s when the community started, now were shabby and outdated on the outside and impractical on the inside. They were hard to heat, didn't have enough electrical outlets or closets, which like everyone in SF, we know that, and the toilets were located on the back porch. And because they were built before automobiles were even, like, con conceptualized and invented, many of them didn't have garages. And sprinkle in some white flight, and we've got SF in the 50s. But how beautiful 
that as the nuclear family and those values moved to the suburbs, the beat culture erupted in San Francisco. And this counterculture, which was like the antithesis of nuclear values, you know, they rebelled against the middle class and pretty much almost perfectly aligned itself with homosexuality and helped bring gay culture to mainstream attention. In the mid to late 50s, groups such as the Daughter of Bilitis, the first lesbian civil and political rights organization in the U.S., and the Mattachine Society, which was another national gay rights organization, were born, as well as the Tavern Guild, which was the first openly gay business association, was all formed. So the 50s were like, really kicked off, like, I don't know, I don't know what that's called. Like the gay community as a, not as like a force of power, but as a, I don't know, an organized community. Maybe that's it. The 50s really kicked them off as an organized community. And so all during this time, the younger residents of the Castro left for modern homes with two car garages um, and suburban life. And the gay community bought up all their homes. And so by the time the 60s hit, the gay community was a homeowning force in the Castro and that's one of those things that makes it so perfectly aligned. The, the nuclear family exodus, the white flight, freed up all these homes in this what used to be like a traditional, traditional family, um, nuclear family neighborhood. They all left. And so as they left, just the freshly fired, just started over gay community like was like, hey, we've got some money. Let's, I'm gonna buy a house. Um, and so, as the '60s continued, and as we t- transitioned to the summer of love era, the gay community grew more, even more central to the ethos of the time. As sexual fluidity, fluidity became more accepted and mainstream, and as the summer of love blossomed and the hate, more gay men found themselves moving to the Castro, a kind of equally liberal in spirit, but more fashionable and clean and less hippie neighborhood. These counterculture, countercultural homosexuals gave rise to a movement with its own dress code, its own prejudices, its own leaders, political figures, and economic base, and of course, its own drama and problems as every community has. Castro Street, the main business section of what was once Eureka Valley, gave the neighborhood its new name, the Castro. Written in lights on the Castro Theater, you know, shown on the street, it was kind of obvious. And also like, I don't know, kind of poetic. Those ones expelled from like the theater of war now danced in the glow of the Castro Theater. Gay business owners set up shop along Upper Market, 18th and Castro Street. Um, as soon, soon it was possible for a resident to have nearly all his needs met by gay-owned businesses. So jewelers, florists, accountants, barbers, dry cleaners, everything. Everyone was there. It was like kind of European in that sense, you know, where you get to work and play all in your neighborhood, contribute to your own community. Love that. Uh, one of these new merchants in 1972 was, of course, the beloved Harvey Milk. He opened a camera store and he was just a crazy, amazing activist who, you know, spoke on behalf of his neighbors, gay and straight. And he really made a name for himself in politics. And he he was advocating for gay political representation. 
He began running for office in 1973, and after four tries, he became the first openly gay elected official of any large city in the U.S. Gays were making a transition from hiding in the shadows and in the closet to living out in proud lives. And in the process, Castro was becoming one of the first gay neighborhoods in the world. The new inhabitants who came from throughout the United States and beyond saw it just not just a place of refuge, but somewhere to celebrate gay identity. Uh, 1975 saw the repeal of California's anti-sodomy law, but the 70s Castro wasn't just about sex. Gays and lesbians formed political groups, churches, and synagogues. They started newspapers, film festivals, theater groups, marching bands, softball leagues, and they were really taking charge and grabbing the new American dream, the like inclusive, everyone belongs dream. And it's kind of beautiful in that sense because they weren't asking for permission, you know? They had the, I guess, the safety of the community of the Castro that they, you know, by merely being there, like, allowed for them to be themselves, you know, in the safety of their own neighborhood. Does that make sense? I don't know. I think it's pretty beautiful. Um, in the Chronicle, the Chronicle even had a serial kind of about the Castro. It was called Tales of the City. It was written by Armistead Maupin. Um, He moved to the Castro in 1981, and Tales of the City was a vivid, often hilarious depiction of 1970s and early 80s San Francisco life as experienced by a variety of colorful, straight, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgendered characters. Um, Tales of the City was actually turned into like a limited series or something starring Laura Linney and can be watched on Netflix. Um, And yeah, so that's kind of it. You know, obviously, like I could go so much deeper and, you know, Harvey Milk in itself is such an incredible person. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy our airport's named after him. But, you know, just freaking I can't do better than Sean Penn and explaining like the beauty that was Harvey Milk. So go watch Milk. Go watch the documentary about Harvey Milk. I like cry at all of them because he was just like, what a beautiful fucking person. If you don't know about Harvey Milk, read his Wikipedia. That man just like angel on earth, truly. I have just the utmost love and respect and pride. And, you know, could we all be more like Harvey Milk? I think the world would be a much better place. Um, But yeah, that's the Castro. That's how it got gay. Just a bunch of little things triggered by other little things and ending in this beautiful place that's inspired people, you know, across the country. Like one of the first gay cities in the world or gay neighborhoods. That's how... And I'm sure you can put it together and this isn't like a new thought. I'm sure you've read similar things, but think about all the kids, like the gay kids in little America, middle America who heard about the Castro. Like there's a place where you can be gay. There's a place where it doesn't matter. And how many kids like even the thought of the Castro like saved their lives and save them from living like a miserable life of oppression because as soon as they were able to, they ran away to the Castro and they found 
their new beginning. It's inspiring. And I wonder what, I guess, like a food for thought, what other things do we kind of look past that can actually inspire people? I guess, you know, you hear that about music, like your music saved my life. I felt so heard for the first time. And what other things like are we overlooking? Because, you know, I don't necessarily before now didn't think too hard of, oh, yeah, people heard of the Castro and it saved them from committing suicide or whatever because they knew the Castro existed. But I'm sure there's a million things like that. Places, things. I don't know. I don't know if anything I'm saying makes sense. I haven't slept in a couple days. Maybe I'm over analyzing. I don't know. I'm just happy we live in San Francisco and I'm happy that the Castro exists and I'm happy it was a beacon of hope for so many people and provided so many people a safe space to exist as they truly wanted to be without judgment. Yeah. Happy Pride. Happy week two of Pride. I will see you next week and we'll talk about something else, but something else still gay. Um, Watch Milk, learn about Harvey Milk, and watch that Postmates commercial. Okay, bye. I love you.